Hello and welcome back to episode 27 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. Today I am here with a new co-host. So I'm here with Tyler Brooks, who is also a dietitian at Ideal Nutrition. And we are going to be talking about caffeine and performance. So we're going to be talking through things like what caffeine is, how it works, how it can help and why it is useful, potential downsides of it, and then also some other kind of miscellaneous stuff alongside that too. Do you want to kick us off, Tyler? Like, what do we want to start with? Sure. So we might just start with a bit of a general overview about caffeine, a bit of an intro, some background of what it does. So essentially, caffeine is one of the most widely consumed central nervous system stimulants. Um, It's found naturally in tea, coffee, and various other compounds. You'll also find it in a lot of soft drinks, Coke, Pepsi, things like that. Um, Its primary action, or the way it works, is through basically its interaction with the adenosine receptor. So the adenosine receptor is something that sort of regulates your arousal status or how tired or or wakeful you feel. So basically, um, adenosine turns into GABA in the body, which then inhibits the arousal neurons. Now, that promotes sleepiness. Caffeine blocks that, essentially. So caffeine's getting in the way of those sort of processes in your body that make you feel a bit more sleepy or promote that sleepiness effect. So it basically inhibits that. Um, caffeine also can kind of have this effect where it stimulates um, adrenaline production or it kind of gives you that fight or flight type of response as well. So that's just some of the ways it kind of it works or it kind of increases wakefulness, alertness, those sorts of things. In terms of its effectiveness as a performance supplement, it's what we class as a group A performance supplement. So that means it's very well studied. It has a good body of evidence and that it's got a very strong supporting evidence base for its effectiveness. In terms of use in sport, that also means it's legal. Um, basically, it used to be a banned substance, and places like the NCAA or collegiate athletes do set limits for its upper amount of intake. In other sports, it's legal at any dosage and is widely recognised as a beneficial performance enhancer. What kind of dosage do you reckon in NCAA you'd have to have to get to that? Because I saw like in water and stuff like that, like it used to be pretty high you'd have to get before it was going to show up. Um, but yeah, how high do you reckon they'd have to go? I think you'd have to purposely try and get to that dosage. Yeah. Like you wouldn't reach it just through natural supplementation or natural consumption through food. The limit's set high enough so that that's not a concern and something you'd have to worry about just with a general intake. Yeah. Um, you'd have to be really pushing the limits of supplementation to get up to that sort of illegal dose. Yeah, because I was like partly in prep for this, but just other stuff. Like I was looking at like a book on caffeine, like a real, real deep dive, like Ben Desbrail style. Like it was him, Louise Burke and all that kind of stuff. And they were talking mm-hmm. about like how high dosages like people were previously using um, around the time Wada Bandit and stuff like that. And it was like, like we're, we're going to talk about like doses anywhere from like one to maybe as high as nine milligrams per kilo. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be like the nine plus milligrams per kilo, like some people were using. Yeah, typically like that sort of, I guess, intake is potentially where some of the side effects and negative impacts do become more prevalent too. So not only is it not really worth taking it potentially from a side effect, risk um in those sort of specific sports you do potentially cross that threshold of banned substance then yeah yeah for sure so right now most sports no no limit but like it's kind of a like as you said there is downsides of going higher and it's kind of like a bit of a curve where if you go really really high you're probably not getting any additional benefits and the positive so the negatives are getting to the point that they outweigh 
the benefits really. So don't really need to worry about it anyway in those sports. Yeah, I think it's kind of a moot point essentially. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of those ranges, so like what type of ranges would you be using for different situations? So different situations, now this is the thing with caffeine, is very much a dose-dependent relationship with some of those performance-enhancing benefits versus some of your more standard reasons like people take it on a day-to-day. Like if you're just yep. having a, a cup of coffee, you're probably somewhere in that one to three milligrams per kilogram dosage. And that's good for promoting wakefulness, giving you a little bit of a pick-me-up in the morning, those sorts of things. Um, but we typically don't see the specific performance-enhancing benefits that we would see at higher doses. So for those doses, we're looking somewhere generally between three at the minimum, anywhere up to nine milligrams per kilogram, as you mentioned. Um, In practice, I typically tend to favor somewhere around the three to six milligrams per kilogram. Yeah, nine's more than I'd ever go with anybody. Nine's nine's extreme, and I don't think I've even gone that high, and I love dosing myself and playing around with some of this supplementation, Um, but nine is quite extreme. Yeah. The way I kind of see it is like the one to three is where you're getting that kind of that wakefulness benefit, you're also getting that kind of like reduced perceived effort to a certain degree kind of benefit as well. Yep. And then like between three and six, you're getting some of these even higher kind of level benefits too. Yeah. So some of those potential benefits we look at are things like your, um, you have a better pain threshold. So things that will feel hard or feel like they're hurting in a gym, if it's a kind of grueling workout, it will feel easier. So you'll kind of auto-regulate. If you're used to training at a certain level, up to the point, like if you're pushing yourself and it's hard and it feels like it sucks, but that's where you know you need to be to get the most benefit out of your workout, it will feel a little bit easier. And that will potentially flow into you being able to push a little bit harder, potentially um, access some of those training stimulus that you might not of without. Um, we also see things like uh, increases in one rep max, increases in repetition still failure. So there, you know, there's a variety of those kind of performance enhancing benefits at those higher doses. Yeah, and like let's put a bit of context around that as well. So like I'm going to make the mass really easy for myself and just say, let's say we've got somebody who's 100 kilos and let's say we're aiming for 300 milligrams or three milligrams per kilo in that case, 300 milligrams. Um, The way I view it is a a cup of coffee. This is a complicated one. I shouldn't start with this, but a cup of coffee, I see it as around 80 to 100 milligrams. But as you'd know, like based on like the Ben Desrail stuff, we're looking at like the espressos on the Gold Coast, anywhere from like somewhere around 25 to 200 milligrams. Huge variation. Yeah. They were like, like basically all they did in that study was they asked for an espresso, no further details unless it was asked for further details. And what they were given was anywhere between that 25 and 200 milligrams. Crazy. But other stuff like no dose, typically 100 milligrams. A 250 mil energy drink like Red Bull or something like that, we're looking at 80 milligrams. So if you had a 500 mil energy drink, that's 160. So if you're aiming for about 300 milligrams, you're looking at two of those. You're looking at about a liter of energy drinks. Yeah, um, enjoy that carbonation while you're squatting or deadlifting. Yeah, so it's like there's some practicalities coming here. Like with the caffeine thing through coffee, it's like if you're looking at like say you wanted to go with some of these higher ranges like the five to seven kind of milligram per kilo range which like seems to be pretty beneficial for one rep max performance and stuff like Mm -hmm. that if you use say coffee and you got the dosage wrong like you got it like because there is that variation like it could go pretty far in either direction whereas like with with energy drinks or something like that like it's pretty locked in like it is what it is that's the amount of caffeine that's in there it's pretty well controlled but you've got the carbonation issue um 
no dose is a way around that other supplements like that caffeine gum i've never really used that with people but that also works as well yeah yeah caffeine gum's a good one um just on some of those variation in terms of the sources of your caffeine pre-workout i also see as a relatively variable or an inconsistent source even if you have a look at your directions and it's like okay one scoop is 300 milligrams you don't really know how homogenous that mix or how well mixed that caffeine is throughout your pre-workout you see pre-workouts clump um, you yeah. see them being more powdery at the top versus more grainy at the bottom sometimes so when you're taking that scoop you know how much of that scoop is you know caffeine compared to yeah. the proportion of the other ingredients is it 300 or are you getting 240 in some scoops and 320 in some scoops and things like that? Practically, it probably doesn't make a huge difference. But if you're trying to be specific with this dosing, um, I do like the use of things like your gum or your no-dose pills just because they do give you that specific dose. Um, and I was just punching in some calculations there because I couldn't remember off the top of my head. But we do work with some big athletes as yeah. well. So when you think about heavyweight powerlifters or even rugby players and things like that, where these guys are pushing well up over 100 yeah. kilograms, um, you know, it is a lot of caffeine to take in potentially, even at that six milligram per kilogram. Yeah. Um, an example that I was just punching in then that I love is um, one of my guys who's a heavyweight lifter. He's kind of worked, well, over experimentation through training. We found a six milligram per kilogram dose works really well for him. Now he's 175 kilograms. So that's a straight up gram of caffeine. Yeah, that's 1,050 milligrams of caffeine. So divide that by an 80 milligram energy drink. If you're trying to get that in Red Bulls, that's 13 Red Bulls. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So let's go caffeine pills. Um, you know, some of those are easier dosing methods. And like, that's why like, I find interesting about the differences in size. Like I've got one lifter who competes in the 48 kilo weight class. And it's like, we actually like, I'm not going to do the maths on it, but it's like a couple of Red Bulls and she's actually at like yeah, a good shot amount. and a half and an espresso when you're there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I, I do also wonder, I don't know if you know more about this than me, but like, do bigger people, is it the same dosage per kilo? Does it work out the same? Yeah, I've often thought about that. I haven't looked into any specific research specifically yeah. on that, but um, I do think about that. So the adenosine receptor is obviously the, the main mechanism of action that caffeine is um, acting on. So if you have more tissue, you're going to have more of those receptors yeah. potentially. Um, in terms of the absolute size of the brain, that might play some sort of role yeah. in how many um, receptors are being expressed in the brain. Um, but I I'd probably lean towards there is some sort of fall off. Like at some point, you probably don't need exponentially more if you're a much heavier body weight. Yeah. Um, I'd say there probably would be some wiggle room to take it down a little yeah. bit, um, especially if a lot of that extra body weight is coming from body fat, which isn't yeah. obviously expressing adenosine receptors. Yeah. Um, so there are those considerations for sure. You might not need those higher doses yeah. specifically if you are up at those big body weights all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I was thinking about as well. And like, Another point on that as well is like the point you made about trial and error. Like I think this very much is a trial and error thing. Mm. Um, me personally, I actually do prefer slightly lower doses of caffeine on in terms of these ranges. I prefer lower range, but that's a trial and error thing. Like for sure, I think if you're going to be in whatever sport you're doing, if it's going to benefit from caffeine, you should try out the higher range. Definitely, you, you kind of <laughs> need to go too far to kind of find that sweet spot. Um, mm -hmm. I personally tried it out. I've tried it out with some other people, and like I think if you're going to do competition after competition after competition, you should try out different doses. You should try out lower, try out higher, find what also works mm -hmm. best for you. Because even though the evidence does show this, it's also pretty individual. Because there is these drawbacks, which we're going to talk about later too. Yeah, definitely, it's hugely individual. Um, you can go down that that rabbit hole of real specific prescription nutrition. And that's something I love geeking out on. So 
um, I have my genome mapped and you can find the polymorphisms in your specific genes that will dictate how quickly you metabolize caffeine. Yeah. So things like how long before training should you dose it specifically? We have these yeah. general recommendations about dosing times, but this will give you a much better idea. Um, in terms of how quickly you metabolize it, it also kind of um, will help you dictate what sort of anxiety performance risk you might have at those higher doses, which is one of the side effects we'll, we'll touch on more later. Yeah. But you can map your genome and your genes will somewhat dictate how you will respond to that level of caffeine dosing. So, you know, in one athlete that might, you might see a higher risk of performance anxiety, you go, okay, cool, we can use this dose in training when it's a bit more chill and there's not as much on the line. But then for competition, we might pull it back. Um, yeah. It still means you'll get the benefits through training when it's less of a stressful situation and you're still training at a higher level and locking in those exercise performance increases. But then when it comes to competition, if it's going to give you so much anxiety that you might underperform, yeah. we can pull it back for that and just, you know, dial it back to a more modest dose or a dose we know that won't cause that effect or isn't as likely to. Yeah, because I want to go through a few things there and I actually want to bring that back to powerlifting as well. So, like, let, let's keep it simple. Say you've got just a one rep max attempt. Average person, because you just talked about um, <laughs> all the differences, but, like, just on average... When should you time your caffeine? Why should you time it there? And also talking about half-lives, like how long is it in your system? So we'll start with when should you time it? Sure. So timing-wise, typically it's going to be somewhere between 30 to 60 minutes where it's going to peak in your system. Um, so, you know, those people you see taking pre-workout as they're stepping out onto the gym floor, you're probably not getting the effects of that pre-workout yeah. or the full effects from the caffeine in the pre-workout unless, until... Unless you warm up for half an hour or you chat or you... Like, yeah, 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 for sure, if you're doing those things. But, yeah. you know, outside of powerlifting, most yeah. people I see in the gym <laughs> don't do that. They'll do one or two warm-up sets on the bar or walk in. on a treadmill for three minutes and yeah. then they're into their weight. Yeah. Um, I spent too long at Valhalla. I forgot what it's like. <laughs> yeah, for sure. you got to pop your head into these gem pop gyms occasionally. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so somewhere between 30 to 60 minutes, um, I usually kind of work it out that it's going to peak at about 60 minutes in terms yeah. of the amount of caffeine that's in your blood um, and starting to affect those adenosine receptors. So usually I'd time it at around about 60 minutes. And if, you, if you're if you using like caffeine gum, like is there a general rule of thumb like half that time, like absorbs a little bit quicker? I think there is a slightly faster absorption through like the, the veins under the tongue. Yeah. Um, so when you're sort of absorbing it through those thin membranes underneath the tongue and in the mouth and orally as opposed to it traveling from your stomach into your intestines and being absorbed there. I believe it is a slightly quicker effect. Um, it's pretty uncommon to use the gum and the breast strips compared to something like a pre-workout yeah. and a, um, a no-dose. So I wouldn't know exact numbers off the top of my head. It's not one of those ones I've committed to memory. Yeah. Um, do you know? Have you looked into that specifically? <laughs> Would Revy's energy strips, like putting them under the tongue, like... We used to use Revy's at the Broncos, yeah, yeah um, for that reason. And we'd take those, like, literally just after they finish their warm-up before they'd be running onto yeah. the field or just before training. So, yeah. Um, but then again, we didn't measure blood levels of caffeine or, you know, how it was yeah. affecting them. But the Revy's are also, um, they're not that high a dose. They're a relatively lower dose of caffeine. Yeah. So yeah. they were more just a pick-me-up and wakefulness type thing for those boys rather yeah. than... Um, I think you've, they, they've got 100, 100 milligram ones out now. They do? Yeah, they yeah, send them okay. out in the last slot. But, yeah, like, I... I I remember flying around with the 40 milligram yeah. ones and being like, oh, I've just got to take heaps of these. Yeah. Like, <laughs> eat the whole packet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not very cost effective. Exactly. Well, yeah. They're not but, cheap. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, the it's Half-Life. Half-Life, yeah. So Half-Life, how long does it typically stay in the system? You said there's quicker and slower metabolizers, but what's the average? Yeah, so on average, we look for somewhere between, I usually say it's four hours. Obviously, there's going to be a fair bit of variation between yep. that. Some people think four to six, some people think three to six, but we usually put it at around about that four unless we've done some testing and know otherwise. So like half would be out of your system in four hours? So that's Yeah, so in the Half-Life, that's half out of your system in four hours. Um now, this has a, a few different sort of considerations. One would be around what time you take in the caffeine and will it potentially affect your sleep later on? If you're taking a big dose, if you're looking at that six milligrams yeah. per kilogram dose for those 100 kilo guys and they're taking 600 milligrams. And even if a quarter is in your system when you go to sleep, yeah. it's still a lot. Like. Yeah, so say you take it at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. A lot yeah. of people train after work, 6 p.m. That means at 10 p.m., if you've taken 600 milligrams, you've, you've still got, got 300. 300 milligrams in your system. That's like three coffees yeah. just before bed. Yeah. Um, and then that's kind of affecting you later into the night as well as that 300 milligrams four hours later, you got half that again. So even by like, you know, 1 a.m., you still got some caffeine in your system if you yeah. are doing those high doses late at night. Um, so, you know, that's something to consider, even if you can fall asleep and it doesn't affect your sleep latency so much, um, it p- will potentially affect your quality of sleep. You might not get as much restful sleep or yeah. as much deep sleep, for example. So that's a consideration. Yeah. Um, the other consideration that I think about with half-life is if we have a long competition day, such as powerlifting, where it's like a six hour event, yeah. if you're there at the gym from nine till three or nine till 4 PM, sometimes if it's a big comp, should you redose it um, because you ha- do have significantly less yeah. in your system by the end of the day? And this is something I do do with my athletes. We tend to look at um, redosing half the dose to align with the rough half lifetime, but we rewind that by about an hour, considering that how long it takes to it's going to take that long yeah. to peak in your system. So we go three hours, we redose half the amount so that you're potentially topping back up to that full blood level of caffeine. Yeah an hour later at that half-life time. So that's kind of one of the other considerations. Yeah, I do the exact same on powerlifting competitions. The question I've always had in my mind and I don't really know the answer to and I think is pretty individual is like, say we're looking at just a random one, like six milligrams per kilogram for this person, this athlete being like the perfect dose for them. But then as you said, they're there from 9am to like 4pm on a long day. (sighs) Being amped up that entire time, (laughs) like how does that affect people? Like... I yep. do wonder that, like, being, like, the re-dosage thing. Like, that is exactly what I do. But I'm like, is this good for some people and not as good for others? Potentially. And there are also a lot of people who are like, I cannot sleep after comp night. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I don't know. My, my perspective on that is who cares? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, performed yeah. on comp day. Who that's cares if you don't like, sleep well that night for one night? Um, if you've hit, like, a 5% higher one rep attempt on your, you know, squat or deadlift or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we'll sacrifice that. And that's the good thing about powerlifting because it's, like, other sports, like, you're competing, like, every weekend or whatever. (laughs) It's like, well, now you're, like, one out of seven days, you're not sleeping well. Yeah, Whereas, like, with powerlifting, like, you do a 12-week or more prep. Like, Mm, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so on to other stuff. I guess we're going to be talking about... I suppose we've covered most of the downsides really. So like anxiety, a little, like my rules of caffeine are typically if it doesn't affect sleep and anxiety um, or to a certain degree, nutrient absorption, I'm not as big on that, but like say iron mm. absorption potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not overly concerned about that. I, I do want to touch on the sleep one. I, I heard Alan Flanagan on Sigma Nutrition use this line. It's always stuck with me. A lot of people with caffeine have cognitive dissonance in terms of when it comes to their sleep. Mm, um, sure. In terms of like, a lot of people it will disrupt their sleep, 
But if you ask a lot of people, do you think it affects your sleep? The answer is no. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this goes back a little bit to that sleep latency versus sleep quality. Just because you're asleep doesn't mean you're getting a good quality sleep. It doesn't necessarily mean you're waking up as refreshed as you would without it. Yeah. So that's definitely something to consider. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think I'd listen to the same podcast and... After hearing that, I stopped taking caffeine for the majority of my sessions. Unless I'm in like a a peaking block and I'm hitting like heavy triples or if I'm pushing really hard in the gym or like for a one-off session every now and again, I'll just dose myself the full five or six milligrams. Otherwise, as a general rule, I tend not to use caffeine as much or at least I will dose it earlier in the day. So it's um, having less potential effect on that sleep quality later at night. Yeah, for sure. No, I value sleep so much and yeah, I think the same. I guess I want to talk about like the that miscellaneous stuff I like alluded to earlier. So like, <laughs> let's let's talk about. So we're going to talk about from a weight loss perspective in terms of how could it help weight loss. Like, there's two potential routes that we could see. One in terms of like the effects of metabolism, which is often claimed, and the other mm-hmm. is appetite suppressant. Yeah. Which one of those do you want to start with? Um, I'd probably start with something like the the appetite suppressant. Yeah. Um, I think again that's going to come down to somewhat individual variation. Um, but basically caffeine is purported to suppress appetite. So the idea with weight loss is if you're on a higher dose of caffeine, it's potentially going to make you want to eat less. Um, it's that simple. There is no magic around it. It's simply like you feel like eating less, so you're probably going to eat less, um, and thereby consume less calories, thereby put you into more of a calorie deficit and help with that weight loss. Do you think if you do, if you have the same amount of caffeine every single day, do you think it balances out or do you think it's like that suppressant effect stays? That's a really good question. I've never personally looked into that one i know there are like in terms of performance which is usually more the context i look at it yeah you can become habituated to the effects of caffeine so you will stop feeling that buzz yeah but in regards to performance you still get the performance enhancing benefits whether you feel the buzz or not yeah i've never had a look at it in terms of appetite suppressant have you yeah i i've looked into it in terms there's not really a lot of research specifically on it but like just thinking it through and a combination of the research i've seen from other fields and stuff like that i think it balances out um Mm. How, how this is going to be overly, overly simplified, but how are there people who have seven plus black coffees per day and still eat a lot of ca- calories if the appetite suppressant thing is there? Because if you get an average person and then get them to have seven black coffees, <laughs> they're not going to eat a lot of calories that day. Sure. I think hunger hormones are relatively strongly related to how many calories we have. If you do something that gives you an appetite suppressant effect for a decent period of time, puts you into a calorie deficit, your hunger hormones then replace or then kind of react in response to that. Mm. And that kind of becomes the new baseline. I'm not going to say there's no appetite suppressant effect that's still there because I think there would be. Mm. But I just think it kind of diminishes if you do it beyond, say, 12 weeks. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting way to look at it, it in terms of like the body will adapt to the conditions we place upon it. Yeah. So if we're placing that constant high intake of caffeine to suppress appetite, eventually we'll potentially adapt to that. Um, appetite will level back out. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, but that's also, if, if, I, if I am right there, because I'm super open to being wrong on that, if I am right on that, it doesn't mean we can't use it for phases. Like for sure, why? why you probably don't want to be in a calorie deficit for over twelve weeks straight in most circumstances. <laughs> anyway, like it's still useful for phases. Like if you're on higher calories for certain phases, maybe you have less caffeine for that purpose. If you're on lower calories, maybe use more for that purpose. Mm, yeah, for sure. 
definitely worth thinking about in terms of overall strategy. Yeah. Things that might make dieting a little bit easier at some stage too. Yeah. So I suppose like very quickly going through metabolism stuff, I, I think of it as like a 1% boost in metabolism. I think there's more more scientific. Do you have numbers on it or anything like that? No, I've never looked at the specific Yeah, numbers. so I, I've looked into it and I think it comes out just over like a 1% boost in, okay. in terms of metabolism. And it's like, well, that's that's cool. That's a little bit of a boost, like total daily energy expenditure. Like yeah. that could make creating a calorie deficit a tiny bit easier. But does it really matter? And <laughs> yeah, is it think worth- about how many calories you taste. If it's a 2,000 calorie diet, what, you get an extra 200 calories? Mm. Is it 200 or is it 20? Is it one, it's 20, sorry. It's 20, yeah. I'm thinking yeah, 10%. Yeah, yeah. 2020. Right. So I'll take it, sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 20 was, calories. Like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, it's Have not an really, extra lick of the apple. Like, you know. Yeah, like the appetite suppressant stuff's far more significant than that. And it's like, yeah, it's a cool boost, but is it worth the side effects and everything we just kind of talked about to mm. get that small boost? The other thing we were going to briefly touch on is things that could potentially help bring you back down from some of the negatives. Like, one example that I use during university is like not quite study drug, but like a study boost is like I use caffeine, just like most people do. Mm-hmm. But there's one called L-theanine that's in tea naturally, but not in a high enough dosage to really do much. But if you supplement it separately, it offsets like some of the negatives of caffeine, including the jitteriness, heart rate that normally increases, all these like little things. So it allows you to get this kind of focus benefit without some without of the downsides. Some of stuff. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Ever looked into that along with caffeine as a performance supplement or at the same time? Does no. it ameliorate any of the performance benefits, would you think? I've, I've looked into it briefly for like golfers and like archers and yeah, stuff like that. sure, those fine motor skill type yeah. sports. Yeah, and it, it makes sense from that perspective, but I haven't looked into it too deeply because I haven't had many people who are elite in that for me to care enough about. Yeah, right. I know the next rabbit hole I'm going down. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one, briefly, like ashwagandha. Um, so that is a herb, so it's an Indian herb. It's got a lot of positive kind of hype behind it a lot of positive Very studies nice. but yeah. it's it's i'm not fully fully sold on it but it basically can make you calmer offset some anxiety stuff it's got a lot of positive research from anxiety perspective but once again like a lot of this research is coming out of india yes and some of the studies that i've read they didn't even make sense in terms of like they they'd measure depression but they'd include people in the study that didn't have depression it's like what are we even talking about here? So yeah like, that's going to change your results a little yeah bit. there's a lot of like low quality studies like that so I, i'm still waiting a bit on ashwagandha but for some people who want to try it i'm looking as an option yeah i think the the research is starting to mount a little bit more as you say there's still yeah. more and more coming out um and some of these kind of positive indicators sort of stimulate more research to be done on it um i personally do take it my coach recommended it to me actually as um yeah as one of these sort of come down type things to help reduce those effects of caffeine um and before i recommend anything to clients i usually like to try it out myself so yeah anecdotally like personally it's not something you feel like it won't put you to sleep it's not a sleeping pill or something like that um i do track my sleep and i've found that when i do take it my quality of sleep whether it be placebo because i know that i've taken it or whatever other mechanisms um i do tend to sleep a little bit better with it and like you said there's enough research out there in terms of anxiety reduction and and things like that that i am sort of comfortable recommending it in some circumstances but i'm very happy to change my opinion on it if you know the research comes out refuting that yeah i completely agree with that i've played around with it a little bit just because once again same thing i like to recommend things something that i personally consider is that a lot of the benefits associated with ashwagandha seem to be byproducts of stress reduction it seems to be like for example there is research showing it increases testosterone Mm -hmm. research showing it increases strength 
I'd like to be stronger. Like <laughs> if I if I truly did think that was going to help that, I'd actually take it solely for that purpose more than just playing around. I'd be consistent with it. But I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I've got no stress in my life. It's a pretty stress-free life. <laughs> Living the dream. Yeah, so because of that, I, I don't actually take it consistently, but it is, it is an interesting option. But I guess we'll wrap things up there. So that was episode 27 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. Um, it's been Tyler Brooks, who's been co-hosting with me. He's another dietitian here. He's also taking on clients as well. So if anybody is interested in that, feel free to book in. And his Instagram handle is at lift underscore dietetics. Is that the one? That's the one. Perfect. Well, thank you to everybody who's listening. And if I could please encourage you to leave a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated.